Five Drive. Gotcha. Jason, firstly, congratulations on your debut limited series, Booty Bood. It is so fascinating. Awesome. Thank you so much. And it's really wonderful to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been such a labor of love to get it to this point and uh, definitely dealing with some of the, su- the darkest subject matter I've ever encountered. So uh, it's been quite something. Yeah. I mean, you started doing this research into the story seven years ago. Why did you decide to make a documentary about this South African serial killer? Um, I, th- I think when I first started looking into it, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. I've just always been interested in the subject matter, um, you know, whether it's the genre within film or just the subject matter itself. Um, it's it's really interesting, you know, the, some of the most extreme human beings that, that do these crazy things. Um, so I started looking into South African serial killers um, and finding out, you know, what was what did we have to offer in that space? And it was very enlightening. And then I came across Stuart Wilkins' story um, on Murderpedia, and it had quite an interesting uh, level of detail into his story. Um, and I found it so fascinating, like how you know his the sort of the, the 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 profile that he had as a killer, the fact that he killed two different victim types, the fact that he where he came from. I always found Port Elizabeth to be such an interesting space. Um, a city that's kind of forgotten on the east coast of South Africa. Um, and yeah, I just had all of these elements that I found really captivating. And so the journey began. And uh, I went down many different avenues with this, um, at some point wanting to make a short film based on sort of another element of the story. Um, and then finally, two years ago, there was an opportunity to pitch a something that really resonated with this particular story to multi-choice. And um yeah, they they liked it, and here we are going on Showmax. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know um, that a serial killer named uh, Stuart Booty Bood Wilkin existed before your documentary, and it was taking place in the early nineties as well, before cell phones and internet that we know today. How difficult was it to find information for your documentary? Well, I mean, there's a lot of um, sort of like I said, Murderpedia gave me like the broad idea. I think largely stuff that was taken out of statements and stuff like that. Then um, I was working on a branded documentary series a few years ago, and I was uh, working with a female director named Megan Robenheimer, somebody that I've known for many years. And um, I was chatting to my assistant about this idea, and she overheard. <laughs> and she, was, she said to me, I've actually been researching the same subject matter. And uh, she'd actually met him in 2009 and so we started collaborating and i sort of set the intention i was like we have to do something about this she already sat with some of the the dockets um and a bunch of information about the case which she shared with me and then we started together doing additional research meeting up with uh, dr gerard labaskachny up in johannesburg um and it's there that we found out that he had a tape a recording of uh of stuart wilkin him they did an interview together where um, in 2006, he was doing this as independent research whilst he was within the SAPS. And uh, he decided to share that with me for research purposes. Um, and uh, in the end, it's now actually featuring in the series, and it's the bedrock of the narrative of, this, mm. of the series in a way that we can experience and hear the thoughts and feelings and uh, the story of the killer for, you know, from his own mouth. The so, tape, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the finding, to answer your question, sort of uh, uh, more specifically, finding information had its, had its challenges, but 
I think there was universally something at play here where stars were aligning and we were just being pointed in the right direction and the right people were there to help. So very fortuitous, actually. Yeah. And you mentioned the tape. It's it's so hectic to hear actual audio of him speaking and he sounds so indifferent and casual about what he did. How does that and his story affect you when you're actually working on this project personally? You know, I don't know if I'll truly know the answer to that question until maybe a few years from now. Um, I'm so invested in it right now, and I suppose to a, to a degree desensitized by it just because of how close I've been to it. But, you know, I can say that, you know, I've met him on two occasions. I had to get his permission to use the tape. So I went to the prison in Port Elizabeth to meet with him, and it's, it's uh, one thing that has always stuck with me is that he, this indifference that he has, this role of a victim that he plays, this presence that he has, the way that he looks at you. And I think about that and I think about the things that he did and I, I do have these sort of like visions in my mind of, of these, these events and these photographs that I've seen and stuff. And it, it has an impact, but I think what's keeping me honest and what's keeping me sort of together is that I know that the reason why I'm doing this is because, you know, obviously I want to expose his story. You know, I want to bring to light the victims of the story that were largely forgotten. And, you know, I think it's also a testament that, you know, every life matters. And, uh, and I think that's part of the mission is to ensure that these people are remembered in some way and that their loss of life wasn't for nothing. So I think that's what's keeping me sort of <laughs> together and, and sort of focused on, on the mm. intention at this, t- at this time. But I think in hindsight, in a couple of years from now, I'll probably uh, need to reevaluate <laughs> some of my life choices because I've, I've exposed myself to quite a lot of uh, dark and depraved material. <laughs> Shame, but I appreciate your work, though. I mean, even in the beginning of the episodes, it says that uh, this documentary aims to shed light on the complexity of human actions and the pursuit of justice. It's not here to glorify crime. Um, So, yeah, I think it's important to get that message across as well. It's not about what he's him. It's about the victims. And And it's a fine line that you straddle, you know, because... It's so open to interpretation because there's some people that will still see it as the glorification of crime. But sometimes to get a point across, you need to push and you need to, you really need to show people something that they may not want to see in order for them truly to understand, in order for the message truly to land. And I think it can get a little bit, you know, people can misinterpret that potentially. But I do know that everyone involved in the project, myself, everyone, our intentions were always very clear to honor the victims, to to tell the story in as honest a way as we can um, and to ensure that, you know, people have got all the facts and that they can they can then decide for themselves, you know, like, does his past have a role to play? Is that a reason or a justification? You know, there's, there's a lot of questions that I think will come out of this. And I think the answers to those questions may be quite polarized. You'll get people on two sides of the line. And I think that's good because I think it stimulates conversation. And I think it makes people question their preconceived ideas about other people, why people do the things they do, um, and what does justice really look like? You know, what, what does it mean? You know? 
Mm. I don't know. It's it's complicated. Yeah. And you mentioned meeting him twice. What were your interactions like? I mean, you say you said he still has that sort of indifferent I'm a victim attitude. Yeah. It's weird, you know, the process of going to see him and I mean I've I've shot in prisons before and stuff, but it's such a weird process. You know, you you're going to a place where you know this person is being held there because of wrongdoing. Yet there's this strange sense of respect in a way because i think it's because of the process that you go through to get in it's a lot of waiting and and you know you get sent from pillar to post and then you arrive in this room and then you're still waiting and then all of a sudden here he comes and it kind of i, th- I don't know i think it, it blurs the, the the lines of why you're there and who he is for a moment but then he arrives and he is a he's just a man he's just this now he is you know slightly overweight he's got no teeth in his mouth he's wears bifocal glasses he um carries around a pen and a pad he likes soft chewy sweets he's got diabetes but he's got this one thing that's very clear about him is that he has lived and breathed his past every day since he's been in prison because the events of it are so are so present for him mm. as if they happened yesterday he can talk about things that happened 40 years ago as if they were yesterday so he's kept it very present for himself and and through that has identified himself as the victim and part what partly why he wants to share his story because he wants people to look at his past and see the pain and hurt that he went through and for a moment even understand that maybe that's what caused him to be what he was or turned him into a monster. Yeah. But when he looks at you, he looks at you without blinking. He stares straight into your eyes almost as if he's looking straight through you. And it, it's quite unnerving. Um, you know, me as a man, I needed to, like, meet him on that level. I had to maintain eye contact with him. I'm trying to build trust. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's unnerving. It's uh, you realize then the difference between yourself and this individual. Sure, I can just imagine that sounds a, a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Totally. Um, I feel like reenactments in documentaries can sometimes be a, a hit or miss, but honestly, the ones in your documentary were done so well, and it really helps you picture and understand the story. Can you explain more about your decision to blend documentary and narrative storytelling? It was always the intention. Um, I think the first reason for that was the lack of archive. There's obviously some photographic archive and very little video archive, which you'll see come up in episode five. But um, the archive limitation meant that we needed to recreate the past. And I saw this as a very, as as like a great opportunity because I've obviously seen this done very well in international documentaries stuff like Wormwood, etc. But of course, the big thing there is that they've got more scope to do this in a way. And they've also got access to talent that will, you know, bring these scenes to life in a meaningful way. And it'll actually land with audiences that have got the privilege of seeing a lot of really great work out there. So we now, you know, I being ambitious, I thought, okay, let's, 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 let's go for this. Let's try it. And uh, again, the universe played a, a part in this because 
if it wasn't for the actors that came forward to want to play these parts and take part in what is essentially a lower budget production because we didn't have the scope that a, a full feature would have or et cetera, et cetera. But they brought their all. I mean, the person who plays Butibur, Raven, fantastic actor. I, I couldn't believe how perfectly he fitted the role and how amazingly he carried moments without saying anything. He was so incredibly talented and uh, such a gift to work with. And the reason, you know, like the reenactments for me were, you know, selfishly an opportunity to explore sort of narrative drama, to build tension, to explore character, to bring to life certain scenes and moments within the story that we just have no way of experiencing. And I didn't want to rely on what is typically used in in true crime documentaries where it's largely impressionistic, mm. largely suggestive in nature. I think there's, there is elements of that in what we've done, but I wanted to bring real humanity to these. I wanted people to breathe and live through these characters so that the audience could almost experience this, go back in time, um, especially when it came to the murders and stuff like that, to experience the nature of what maybe went down that night. And I think we've achieved that. And I think it's largely due to just everyone being present and being, and everyone having the same intention going into this. And I think everyone delivered so wonderfully. I mean, I'm very blessed to have worked with the people that I worked with because it's because of them that we have the result that we do. So yeah, I was, I was very lucky. That's amazing. Well, you did an incredible job on putting it all together and your team. So well done for that, Jason. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. And I, I look forward to, uh, yeah, I look forward to everyone watching it. 18th of October, comes the first episode comes out and it's every week thereafter for five weeks. And I'm hoping that uh, it's received well and that it stimulates conversation and debate. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see what the public thinks about it. Awesome. Catch up from some of the best moments from the 5 Drive team by going to 5FM's catch up page on the 5FM app or 5FM.co.za.